Welcome to The Alchemy of Things, a podcast diving deep into topics like skincare, holistic living, and the energy that connects us all. I'm your host, Brandi Searcy, founder and formulator of Brain Organica, where you'll find skincare you can take with you anywhere. What are endocrine disrupting chemicals? And why aren't we freaking out over the endocrine disrupting nature of phytoestrogens? In today's episode, which is jam-packed, we're talking about these topics. So originally, I intended to talk about the endocrine disrupting potential of some chemical sunscreens. However, it felt a bit disingenuous to launch into that conversation without a couple of primers on EDCs first. So this week and next, we're laying the groundwork. This week, we're covering what your endocrine system is, how endocrine disrupting chemicals, which are also known as EDCs, which are also known as endocrine disruptors or endocrine disrupting molecules, we're talking about how these endocrine disrupting chemicals can interrupt your normal hormonal processes. And we're also talking about phytoestrogens and other naturally occurring compounds that act as natural endocrine disruptors. Today's episode is really just a primer on phytoestrogens. While we will be talking about it, I'm going to go in much more depth at a later date. Um, I believe that episode, it's four from now. So it's, it technically isn't even part of this series. However, it will come right after this series completes. With today's episode, my sincerest hope is that you walk away from this conversation with a newfound understanding of what EDCs are and really the understanding that maybe this isn't the four-letter word that it's been made out to be. All factors really need to be considered beyond just is a compound endocrine disrupting? Because honestly, some endocrine disrupting compounds are really good for us. It's all a question of both what the compound is and also when in our developmental phase we're talking about. For some of us, and also our genes play a role in it as well. For some of us, some things are always off limits. For others of us, what we can be exposed to as adults is very different from what we should be exposed to as children. So we're going to talk about that a little bit too. This is, again, this is, today is just the introduction to that. Still by the end of this episode, that's what I hope you'll walk away with. So let's get right into it. What is the endocrine system? Your endocrine system includes any gland or organ that secretes hormones. So starting at your head and working our way down your body, these organs are your hypothalamus, your pineal gland, your pituitary gland, and all of those are in your brain. Then your parathyroid glands, which sit on top of your thyroid gland, which is also an endocrine organ. Your thymus gland, this is located in your chest. Your adrenals, which sit on top of your kidneys. Your pancreas. In women, our ovaries are part of our endocrine system. And in men, the testes are part of the endocrine system. 
Each of these organs and glands secrete at least one hormone, and often these hormones are responsible for telling other organs in your endocrine system whether to scale up their own hormone production or whether it's okay to take a little break. For example, your pituitary gland secretes thyroid-stimulating hormone, which is more commonly referred to by the acronym TSH, and TSH is responsible for signaling your thyroid gland to generate the hormones T3 and T4. Your pituitary gland also secretes luteinizing hormone, or LH, and follicle-stimulating hormone, or FSH, and both of these hormones help regulate estrogen and progesterone production throughout your menstrual cycle. Hormones do so much more than just communicate with other endocrine organs. Hormone receptors are found on many of the cells within your body, and hormones are one of your body's ways of communicating with itself, basically acting as messengers within your body. Endocrine-disrupting chemicals interfere with these hormonal messengers, and they can do this in a number of ways. Throughout the rest of today's episode, I'll be using estrogen as an example as we look at the ways in which EDCs can interfere with your natural hormone messaging system. Just keep in mind that estrogen is only one of the 75 hormones that your body makes. And it doesn't matter whether you're a girl or a guy, each one of these hormones, including estrogen, is important. And we'll definitely dive into why in this series. For now, let's take a look at the ways that EDCs can interfere with your body's hormonal messaging system. Endocrine disrupting chemicals or endocrine disrupting compounds might bind directly with the hormone receptor. This is known as direct disruption. For estrogen, the EDC may preferentially bind to either one of your two types of estrogen receptors. So inside your body, you have both estrogen receptor alpha and estrogen receptor beta. And some EDCs have a preferential binding for one of those receptors over another. Some bind to both, some bind to one, or prefer binding to one more than another. Once bound to a hormone receptor, an EDC might mimic that hormone. And when this happens, so when an EDC that's bound to a hormone receptor mimics a natural occurring hormone or mimics the response of a naturally occurring hormone bound to that receptor, what happens is it instigates the same cellular response cascade that the natural hormone itself would trigger. The technical term for this is the EDC is acting as an agonist. An EDC might also cause a contradictory response. So in this case, when the, e the EDC blocks or it counters the natural hormone's response when it binds to the hormone receptor. And in this case, it's called an antagonist. Depending on the EDC's binding affinity for the hormone receptor, the impact might be weaker it's typically weaker. In some cases, it might be stronger than the hormone itself. And this depends very much on which hormone you're comparing it to. In the case of estrogen, there are three naturally occurring estrogens, and estradiol is typically used as the reference 
uh, one of those because it is it's binding affinity affinity both for estrogen receptor alpha and beta is much greater than either estrone or estradiol, which are the two other naturally occurring estrogens. So we'll let's. So what are binding affinities for some common EDCs? So I just mentioned the three different types of naturally occurring estrogen in your body. Estradiol is more potent than estrone by about tenfold. So 10 times more potent than estrone. And depending on which study you look at, it's found to be between 10 and 100 times more potent than estriol. Estradiol is so strongly binding for both, for both of the estrogen receptors that um, it's usually assigned the maximum binding affinity are basically used as a reference molecule in binding affinity assays. So I, I mentioned that, but just to reiterate. So now let's circle back to that question of what are binding affinities for some common EDCs? Well, PCBs are about 400 to 10,000 times weaker than estradiol, depending on which PCB we're talking about. So for a number of these endocrine-disrupting compounds, there's a whole class. Uh, PCBs are one class, phthalates are another, parabens are another. BPA is about 13,000 times weaker than estradiol. And then the parabens that are most commonly used as preservatives are on the order of 100,000 to 300,000 times weaker than estradiol. And when I give you these numbers, it's based off a single study. The reason I used one study for reporting these numbers is because this study actually looked at 188 different compounds. And so it was really easy to compare apples to apples. You can easily find references that may list um, different different orders of magnitude. Um, for parabens, for instance, I've seen as I've seen as efficacious as 10,000 times weaker than estradiol. So again, that's like basically tenfold greater than what I'm what I'm saying here. So just keep in mind that with these we're how we're comparing it, how the study is performed um, definitely can impact and also which, um, which hormone receptor they're using, whether they're using estrogen receptor alpha or beta or how they're running the test can um, cause these numbers to fluctuate. Again, just for a true apples to apples comparison, I'm pulling these I'm pulling what I'm sharing here from a single study. It's not to say I didn't cross-reference other studies when I was looking up the literature. However, that's just what we're talking about today. So with all of that in mind, if these compounds are so much less able to bind to the estrogen receptor compared to estradiol or even to estrone or estriol, what's the big deal? Why do they raise such a big health concern? Both men and women naturally produce estrogen. Men make about 40 to 50 micrograms of estradiol daily, and women, so 
your woman, your ovaries alone produce between 70 to 500 micrograms of estradiol daily, depending on where you are in your menstrual cycle. So did you catch those units? Micrograms, like what is a microgram? A microgram is one millionth of a gram. All right, that's really helpful, right? A gram is just under a quarter teaspoon. So typically a quarter teaspoon holds about 1.25 grams and that depends on the density of the material that's being weighed. However, it's a good rule of thumb and a good rule of measurement that a, that one quarter teaspoon holds 1.25 grams. So converting the amount of estradiol we make into grams Men make between 0.00004 grams and 0.00005 grams of estradiol daily, while women's ovaries make between 0.00007 grams and 0.00 zero zero five grams of estradiol daily now do you care to guess how much phthalates you're exposed to daily D studies predict that your body is exposed to about one gram of phthalates every single day phthalates can enter your body through the foods you eat the drinks you drink and because phthalates are volatile, they can also enter your body through the air that you breathe. If you're a woman, even on your highest estradiol-producing days, you're still exposed to 2,000 times more phthalates daily through your environment than to your body's own naturally occurring estradiol. For men, that exposure level can be up to 25,000 times higher. And that's just your expected daily exposure to a single class of man-made EDCs. Speaking of phthalates, were you wondering why I didn't mention their estrogen receptor binding affinity? It's because phthalates don't even register as binding to estrogen receptors. Even DEHP, which DEHP is a phthalate of particular health concern, and what does this mean? Does it mean that phthalates aren't endocrine disrupting? No, not by a long shot. Estrogen receptors, again, and estrogen is just one type. So the estrogen receptors themselves are just one type of hormonal receptor in your body. And even though phthalates don't directly bind to or interact with your body's estrogen receptors, doesn't mean they're not affecting your hormones. For your reproductive organs, phthalates work by binding to sex hormone binding globulin, or SHBG, which is a protein that normally interacts with your body's natural hormones, dihydrotestosterone, testosterone, and estradiol. So phthalates still impact your body's natural state of hormonal balance. And direct interaction with hormone receptors isn't... It, that's just one way. So the direct interaction or direct disruption is just one way that 
Endocrine-disrupting compounds can interfere with hormonal regulation. EDCs can also work indirectly by speeding up or slowing down the generation and breakdown of naturally occurring hormones. So in other words, EDCs can alter your body's metabolism of hormones. Now, you may be wondering, why is your body made this way? Have you ever noticed how your body responds when you bite into a ripe strawberry or take the first bite of your favorite sun-ripened fruit? What about when you brush up against a lavender plant and the soft fragrance permeates the air? Can you feel your body relax? Some signals aren't as profound as this aromatherapy example. For instance, the color of sunlight at sunrise and sunset is different than midday, being more red at first light as, and again as it sinks back below the horizon than in midday when its rays are the most blue. This color shift impacts your circadian rhythm. Simply put, we are creatures made to interact with our environment. Our environment provides our mind and our body signals and cues, and these come in a variety of ways. Some so stark that they register with our conscious mind, and some far more subtle. These environmental signals provide key information to your body and to your mind, and the many environmental cues are so subtle that your conscious mind isn't even aware of them. So many plant molecules, including phytoestrogens, belong to this class of environmental signals surrounding you at the subconscious level. These molecules are made to interact with your body, or rather, your body is made to interact with them in subtle ways as gentle reminders that each one of us is so much more interconnected with our world than we could fathom. Phytoestrogens are one group of plant compounds that interact with your body. Phytoestrogens are endocrine disrupting. So again, we'll be talking more and more about phytoestrogens in later episodes. Fragrance compounds of plants are another class of molecules that interact with your body. Depending on how these fragrance compounds work, they can also be endocrine disrupting. For instance, a quick way to reduce your cortisol level is to smell some lavender or some rosemary. Cortisol, of course, is produced by your adrenals. Endocrine disrupting chemicals is not a four-letter word. The problem with many synthetic endocrine disrupting chemicals is that they're bioaccumulative, meaning that they don't readily break down in the environment. And many of these synthetic EDCs are volatile, meaning that they carry easily on the wind and they can wind up in remote places. And these molecules enter the bodies not just of humans, but also of birds and fish and mammals. And while many naturally occurring EDCs such as phytoestrogens and the aromatic compounds and essential oils can be good for your body and help regulate your hormones. Have you heard of seed cycling? Even some man-made, and man-made, of course, is synonymous with synthetic, 
Even some man-made or synthetic EDCs can be beneficial to you in certain circumstances. In fact, a large number of drugs used to battle cancer belong to this class. The real problem is that EDC itself has become a dirty word, and it's now being used to warn people off of phytoestrogens and even certain herbs and holistic therapies. And I think that's a huge problem. And even though I'm not sure there's a way to get around the use of the term EDC or endocrine disrupting compound, I would so love it if we can move the conversation away from that and talk more about how some of these molecules like phthalates, like PCBs, like BPA, and now BPS are interfering with our health and preventing true health and actually doing the opposite where they're um, promoting illness. So without a doubt, a number of phthalates are not healthy for you. And without a doubt, BPA has some estrogenic benefits behaviors. The problem with both of these, along with many other synthetic chemicals with health concerns like PCBs and PFAs, is that they're ubiquitous in the environment. So I just wanted to give you a few examples. This is circling back around to DEHP. So it's a very problematic phthalate, and it's still to this day used in IV infusion sets and IV bags. And you're also still extremely likely to eat foods that have been in contact with phthalates. PFAs, which were voluntarily eliminated from production by major chemical manufacturers under the PFOA stewardship program, and a number of which are being phased out of food packaging due to their extreme bioaccumulative nature and also to their links to a whole host of health conditions, are commonly found in waterproof mascaras and lipsticks, and they're also used in nail polish. As citizens, and specifically here, I'm talking to us, anybody listening who's in America, we're routinely exposed to chemicals that have been banned in other parts of the world. And the reason they were banned in other parts of the world is due to their health concern. That's the real story here, is regardless of whether these chemicals are classified as EDCs or are called for what they are, their indestructibility, their high rates of production, and in many cases, their overwhelming links to health problems creates a solid case for demanding that regulatory bodies like the EPA and the FDA step up with stricter regulations restricting these chemicals. One of the greatest lessons from the pandemic is how agile companies have any size are, even large companies. And when required, change happens. All right, so that's probably enough of getting fired up for today. Um, if you can't tell, I'm, I'm pretty passionate about I'm pretty passionate about this and uh, definitely feel that we should be pushing on our regulatory bodies to do more for us as, I mean, we're citizens of a first world country. So next week's episode is a bonus episode. We're going to be talking specifically about two common EDCs. One of those, almost everybody in America, like at least 75% of the population, is exposed to daily. And um, 
And yes, that's that's true with them. I mean, that's true with so many of these EDCs as well because they are just ubiquitous in our environment now. However, this one in particular is one we consume without really even thinking about it. And then the second that I'll be talking about next week leads into my own personal story and includes some connections that I'm only just now starting to discover. The reason for this being a bonus episode, so posting in between um, our normal, like the normal schedule, which is every other week, is because next week is pretty, like, it's pretty personal. I, I tend to share personal information here. Next week might be going a little bit overboard for for you. Um, so for that reason, I decided to do it as a bonus so you can, I, I encourage you to listen. The first part of it will apply to you regardless. The second part, if you feel uneasy, you can definitely skip that and stay tuned to the episode in a couple weeks where we finally talk about endocrine disrupting chemicals and chemical sunscreens. All right, until next time. Bye. If you're enjoying The Alchemy of Things, would you consider leaving a podcast review and sharing with a friend? I'd be so grateful for your time. Thank you for listening and thank you for taking the time to leave a review. Until next time, bye.